You know, we, we have been looking at Daniel in chapter 9. And we're going to continue now, which follows on from what Daniel was saying, the words of Jesus in Matthew 24. We have alluded to this chapter from time to time in the past couple of weeks. And we saw where Jesus had castigated, I suppose you'd say, lambasted the religious leaders of his day. He called them whited sepulchres, he called them hypocrites. And uh, for them and those who had gone before, and they had, as we saw, appropriated and commandeered the vineyard. The parable that he had told about the man who had left the vineyard in charge of the workers and they had killed the prophets and killed the various people who had come. They persecuted some and killed others and then eventually the landlord had sent his son and that was a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ coming. They would soon kill the heir. Jesus would soon be going to the cross. And as the husbandman husbandmen said, they said among themselves, this is the heir, come let us kill him, and let us seize on his inheritance. Every effort had been made by God to bring his beloved people back to himself. Divine love had been spurned. Prophets had been sent, their message falling on deaf ears. They had been warned, they'd been entreated, wooed, but all in vain. And we saw this as we studied in Daniel. And we saw at the beginning of chapter 24, it said he departed from the temple. Never to go into it again. The situation was hopeless. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives with his disciples, they came to him privately and said, Tell us, when shall these things be? What shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the, the world? But in fact, it's the end of the age is the correct interpretation. When, does, when is the end of the world coming? You know, people, people ask these kind of questions today. People love horoscopes. If you go to the, the, all the glossy magazines and the papers, they all have horoscopes. And you say, why, why are they there? Surely people don't believe these horoscopes. You only have to go to a country like India and places where horoscopes play a very vital role in the lives of people every day. Why are they so popular? If people don't believe them, why do, why do hard-headed businessmen pay people for writing them and putting them into the papers? I don't read them. I don't even look at them. <laughs> why? It's simply because people want to know the future. They can't be right, surely, always. Are they ever right? Strangely enough, we had a, a friend in, in Ireland, before he was a Christian, he went to a fortune teller. And the, the fortune teller told him that he would develop an incurable disease. 
And soon after that, he got a, a, a bad heart, a murmur on the heart, which was never going to be cured. So they, they can, in some way, foretell the future. We should steer clear of them. The Bible wouldn't warn us against fortune tellers and people like that if there wasn't something badly wrong with them. But you see, surely people won't believe those kind of things. But you know, we believe so many fables and crazy things. We believe our politicians. Now, I'm not talking about party politics here. But we believe our politicians. And they lead us into wars, they lead us into disasters. But yet we were quite happy to believe them. I was looking at the news the other night, and this man in Italy, Bellasconi, I think his name is, and he has been indicted for many uh, criminal acts, but the people still vote him in. Strange, isn't it? We have people within uh, the, the, the faith communities, or churches and things, who, who prophesy things that don't happen, but that doesn't seem to make any difference people still carry on believing them. So that's why people will still keep on looking at horoscopes. I was... The world has gone so crooked. Uh, listening to Radio Air, there's a, a tribunal on at the moment looking into members of the government and councils who have accepted bribes for land which has been rezoned land which they say was ordinary agricultural land but if they if the owner could have it rezoned into uh, commercial land it was going to go up in price say maybe from two thousand pounds an acre to two million pounds an acre and the number of people that have accepted bribes and uh, cannot remember getting them they're saying to the tribunal one guy the other day two thousand pounds he, he couldn't remember which account he put it into and with that small, people are getting twenty, thirty thousand pounds for helping with the rezoning of land. People are very crooked these days. And you know, we we talk to people, and you only have to sit down and uh, have a meet, a, talk, a chat with somebody, and sooner or later, if the person watches TV or is uh, is is constantly reading their papers sooner or later somebody will say surely this can't go on the world is in a terrible way where will it all end up what will it be like in 20 years time usually say, people say I'm glad I'm not starting my life all over again it's a terrible world in which to bring children all these kind of expressions you'll hear every day from people and yet the sad thing is how many of them go to the Bible and read what Jesus says about the future because if we read Matthew 24 for this earth it's a future history of what's going to happen here on earth so that's why it's good to have a look at Matthew 24. <clears throat> now we have some problems. The first problem is the fact that many of our church leaders have the notion that everything is getting better and is going to improve. We've said this before. 
Uh, so much that the gospel is spreading across the world, as they say is shown in the parables of the mustard seed and the leaven, and in other places. Now I mentioned a man called Gill, who was a reformed expositor, and he, again, I just want to point this out, regarding the parable of the mustard seed, do you know what the parable of the mustard seed was? That it was planted in the ground, grew up, it became a, a tree, and the birds of the air came and lodged in its branches. And he says this is designed to express the small beginnings of the gospel dispensation. That's the age in which we're in now, the age of the gospel being preached. The account here given by Christ and alluded to, and which expresses the very growth, the very large growth and increase of the gospel and the ministry of it. Gospel, he says, is going to spread. And he goes on, the church of Christ and his interest in the world, both as to the large numbers it did consist of in the times of the apostles and since, and will more especially hereafter. For the church will fill the earth, and the kingdoms of the world will become the church, and all nations of the earth will flock unto it. The people of the Jews in general will be converted, and the fullness of the Gentiles will be brought in, as also with respect to the figure it will make through the great personages, the kings and princes of the earth that will be in it. The great power and authority the saints will have then. The peace and prosperity that will be enjoyed by them, the spirituality, holiness, righteousness, love and unity there will be among them as also the presence of God and of the Lamb. They will be favoured with all which glory and happiness will be brought about by a plentiful effusion of the Spirit and by the glorious appearance of Christ. Now he reckons in this age this, the church is going to grow and all the nations are going to become Christian and all the, the, the kings and the, those in, in authority within the nations are all going to be part of the church. Well, it's been going for 2,000 years and we cannot see any great evidence of that uh, throughout the world. In fact, it's going the other way. That was, that's one problem we, we have when we look at the future. The second problem is that they have not understood the words of Jesus. As we read the words of our Master, we will see what his history of the future is going to be like. It doesn't seem to bear any resemblance to that picture. And then we can compare the two and see which of the theories are sustainable. So, we're going to read Matthew 24. It's a long passage. We're going to read quite a bit today, but it's necessary in order to... But it's a good thing to read the Word of God, isn't it? It's better than me talking away. So, we start at verse 3. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, it's a lovely picture here of the Lord Jesus sitting and the disciples gathered round him. And they say, tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered and said unto them, <coughs> Take heed that no man deceive you. Take heed. That word take heed is used a lot in scripture. Quite a few times we find in the Bible take heed. And when it says take heed, we should take heed. 
Take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. And all these are the beginning of sorrows. That's just the beginning. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted, and shall kill you, and ye shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then shall be many be offended, and shall betray one another, and shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall rise, and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold, iniquity shall abound. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet stand in the holy place, whoso readeth let him understand, then let them which be in Judea flee unto the mountains. Let them which be on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house. Neither let him which is in the field return back to take his clothes. And woe unto them that are with child, and to them that give suck in those days. But pray ye that your flight be not in the winter, neither on the Sabbath day. For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time. No, nor ever shall be. This is Jesus speaking about what's going to happen. And except those days be shortened, there shall no flesh be saved, not but for the elect's sake, that's his Jewish people, for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. Then if any man shall say unto you, Lo, here is Christ, or there, believe it not. For there shall arise false Christs and false prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. Before I told you before, behold, I told you before. Wherefore, if they shall say unto you, Behold, he is in the desert, go not forth. Behold, he is in the secret chambers, believe it not. For as the lightning cometh out of the east, shineth even unto the west, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. For where the carcass is, there shall the eagles be gathered together. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, 
shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. Now learn a parable of a fig tree. When his branch is yet tender and put it forth fruit, leaves, ye know that summer is nigh. So likewise, when ye shall see all these things, know that it is near, even at the doors. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. Now generation there doesn't mean that particular generation. Generation is used in scripture to, to speak about an age. It doesn't mean a generation of 20 years or 30 years. It means a general generation of a, a dispensation, as it were. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. That's a very, a very... Jesus said, oh yes, my words are... Because why? Because they're written in heaven, we read in Scripture. He goes on. But of that day and hour knoweth no man. No, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. Now here's an interesting point. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered into the ark and knew not until the flood came and took them all away. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Then shall two be in the field, the one shall be taken and the other left. Two women shall be grinding at the mill, the one shall be taken and the other left. Watch therefore, for ye know not what hour your Lord doth come. But know this, if the good man of the house had known in what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have suffered his house to be broken up. Therefore be ye also ready, for in such an hour as ye think not, the Son of Man cometh. The time of Noah, the flood came and took all these people away in the flood. And that's what it's going to be like. Noah was saved. Who were taken? the people, the evil people who didn't believe the doctrine that Noah had been preaching for 120 years very unsuccessful preacher only his family got into the ark poor man he'd been preaching righteousness for 120 years <laughs> who then is a faithful and wise servant whom his Lord hath made ruler over his household to give them meat in due season And we'll just stop there uh, for the sake of time. And so we have that Jesus gathering his little group of, of disciples around him. 
Oh, yes, he'd been preaching for three years. And who were there? Just a little group of people around him. What a failure, people would say. Only these 12 men around him listening as to what the future would be. Now, important points as before we really look at this passage in detail. To whom was he speaking? And what is the context in which he spoke these words? We said in the recent talks that it was in our Lord's time there always was and there always has been and there always will be a group within the Jewish nation the remnant as they are called who were righteous who were looking for the coming of the Messiah Daniel and his friends were such type they, they were the true worshippers of God Simeon the old man in the temple what did he say I can depart in peace because mine eyes have seen thy salvation. They, they, he had seen the Lord's Messiah. He'd been expecting it. Hannah, the old dear, uh, the, the, the widow in the temple, she was another type. And you know, these disciples of Jesus, these were men who were and had been expecting the Messiah. And in John 1.43, we have this little story of Jesus choosing his men. The following day, Jesus would go forth into Galilee and finds Philip. And he said unto him, follow me. Wonderful. Philip must have been expecting the Messiah. And he said, follow me. And he just followed him. Now Philip was of Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip finds Nathanael. And said unto him, We have found him whom the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said unto him, Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip said, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him, and saith of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no guile. Nathanael said unto him, Whence knowest thou me? Jesus answered and said unto him, Before that Philip called thee, when you were sitting under the fig tree, I saw you. And here's what Nathanael answered. Rabbi, thou art the Son of God, thou art the King of Israel. They'd been expecting this man to come between the two, the, the, the Old Testament, the New Testament, that, that period in between. During that time there was a great expectation was developing about the coming Messiah. You know, even the Samaritan woman that went to Sychar's at Sychar's well, when Jesus said, give me to drink, and she said, who art thou? And he, he explained who he was. What did she say? She ran to her village and said, come and see a man that told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? Isn't this the Christ? Must be. And so we, Jesus was speaking to those who were part of the Jewish godly remnant that had been expecting him. Sadly, as we saw, the majority of people rejected him. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. And that's the basis of when he started to talk to them. The context was, Jesus had just lambasted the, the religious leaders of his day. He had made his exit from the temple. 
He had forecast doom on them and their generation, and we saw how the leaders had turned their backs on him, preferring the popularity of the Roman forces rather than recognizing him as the Messiah. And it was these thoughts that the disciples came to Jesus and said, Tell us, when will these things be? When these things that you've said to the, the religious leaders that things are going to be bad, what is the sign of thy coming and the completion of the age? Now there's a third point before we look at this. The knowledge of his listeners was limited. We've said this before. As yet the teaching regarding the church, the great truth of the church had not yet been given. That didn't come about until after the crucifixion. You see, there was still a great wall between the Jews and the Gentiles. The Jews couldn't have ever envisaged the Gentiles and the Jews being part of the one organization, the church. The Bible talks about it as a middle wall of partition. There was a division, there was a wall built between the Jew and the Gentile, which was there. And until our Savior was crucified, that wall stayed there. It was one day after the crucifixion, it will be broken down. But not at this time. Not at this time. There was a division. And if you look at Ephesians chapter 2, there's a passage there which explains this. And I'll read it. Starting at verse 11. And Paul is speaking to the Ephesians who had been Gentiles. He's talking to the Ephesians. And he says, therefore remember that you, the nations, remember I said to you before, the nations were the Gentiles. When scripture talks about the nations, it generally speaks about the Gentiles. And therefore he's talking to these people and he's saying, therefore remember that you, the nations, the Gentiles, in time past, were in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands. The Jews didn't like the Gentiles because they weren't part of the promises and covenants of God. And at that time, you were without Christ. You are aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise. Having no hope, you were without God in the world. That's the way we all were. That's what it's saying here. He says, but now these people had accepted Christ and the teaching that Paul had given them, and they had become Christians. They were born again. He says, but now in Christ, you who were once afar off are made near because of the blood of Christ. You understand what he's saying? They were outside all the promises of God, but then because Christ had died and through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ they had accepted Christ as their Savior, now they were near. For he is our peace. He making us both one. 
does that mean? Making them both one. The Jew and the Gentile were now both one. And he has broken down the middle wall of partition between us. This wall which was separating the Jew from the Gentile has been broken down and now both the Jew and the Gentile coming to Christ in Christ Jesus they're made one. There's no division between them. Having abolished in his flesh the enmity the law of commandments contained in ordinances so that in himself he might make the two into one. Making the two into one new man. Making peace between them. There is now, through the Lord Jesus Christ, the Gentile and the Jew are now part of the church. They're one. So that he might reconcile both to God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity in himself. And he came and preached peace to you who were afar off, and to those who were near. For through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Now therefore you are no longer strangers and followers, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom every building, having been fitly framed together, rose into a holy sanctuary in the Lord. Do you see that the, the, what has happened? The Jews who were under the covenant of God, the Gentiles who were completely outside that, couldn't come together. They had no common ground in which to come together. But when the Lord Jesus Christ came, he died so that they both, through the Lord Jesus Christ, can be one in the body of the church. Now, I'll explain this even more fully. There was an old rabbi friend of ours. He used to come to our uh, church years ago. And he says, and this is the type of teaching he gave. Before our Lord Jesus came in the flesh, the human family was divided in two. The Jew and the Gentile. That's all God recognized. There were Gentiles and there were Jews. But since the day of Pentecost, the human family is now divided into three. The Jew, the Gentile, and those who are born again, the Christians, the church. In view of the above, you must study the word of God. Because of that, you must study the word of God in this way. What are God's what are God's purposes for the Jew? What are God's purposes for the Gentile? And what are God's purposes for the church? The three different types of people. If you keep these separate in your mind, you will save an awful lot of confusion. You can't get the the Jew. Remember that the Jew is not the Gentile. The Gentile is not the church. The church is neither the Jew or the, the Gentile. We have to keep, make sure we get them separate in our minds. Do not read Israel into the church 
or the church into Israel, nor the Gentile nations into either Israel or the church. For if you do, you will come up with strange ideas, and you will not be rightly dividing the word of truth, as Paul uh, wanted his followers to do. You see, God has now an earthly people and a heavenly people. Who are his heavenly people? We are his heavenly people. The church of God, whom he is calling out of all people, people who have been born twice, born again by the Spirit of God. His heavenly people, the church, we have a heavenly outlook. We have a heavenly heritage. Paul talks about we have a, a heritage reserved in heaven for us. A glorious heavenly kingdom which we are going to. And we are not of this world. That's what the Bible keeps telling us. We are pilgrims and strangers. We are a heavenly people. Our destiny is heaven. Now God still has an earthly people. The earthly people are the Jews, the Jewish nation, the sons of Jacob. They're scattered throughout the world. They're scattered amongst all the nations. They're everywhere. We keep hearing of Jews appearing in most unusual places, Ethiopian places, that we don't assume or don't think of Jewish people being part of Ethiopian race but they're all over the place they, nationally they are in unbelief they are still in the situation they were when Jesus walked out of the temple they have rejected him as their true Messiah but God will one day gather all those Jewish people together again and they will be withdrawn out from these nations, and we can see that happening today, can't we? Why do people, Jewish people, want to go back to Israel? Why are they going back to Israel in their hundreds? Why? Who in their senses would want to go back to Israel? There's turmoil, there are blast bombs, there's war, there's possibility of more war, and yet we get the Jewish people have this urge to go back to their own land. It's the beginning of this call of God for these people to go back to their own land. There are promises in Scripture, earthly blessings to the Jews. So don't mix up the blessings in relation to the Jewish nation and the, the, the sad things which are going to happen to them, don't mix that up with what is going to happen to the church. You know, God's earthly people, the Jews, there's still a lot of problems and troubles that are going to come onto them. In the great tribulation in Matthew 24, they are going to suffer still greatly. If you look at Jeremiah 30, 
And uh, I'll just read one verse then. Jeremiah 30 and verse 7. It says, Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it. It is even the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. Yes, those, the, the, the godly remnant will be saved out of it, but the Jewish nation as a whole, there's going to be nothing like it before or since. We think the Jewish nation has suffered a lot. There's still a lot more to happen to them. But we will see that they will come through that in Hosea. Chapter 5 and verse 15. I will go and return to my place till they acknowledge their offense and seek my face. My face. They will seek his face. They will look on him whom they pierced and they will repent. And in their afflictions, it says, they will seek me early. The tribulations that are going to take place are not only going to affect the Jewish nation, they will affect the unbelieving world as well. Now, remember, you are members, we are members of the body of Christ, his church. We are neither part of his earthly people, or neither are we part of the Gentiles, the nations. We are blood-bought people who are part of his church. Mark Hagen said when he, he, he said, when I became a Christian, I ceased to be a Jew. I now belong to the family of God, the church where there is neither Jew nor Gentile. We are Christians. We are all one in Christ. And so, just that point, I thought we would just re-emphasize these three points in mind. And then we'll start this study. Just stressing it again, it is this godly remnant who were gathered around Jesus. And this message is to them and their generations stretching away into the future. If we fail to see this important point in Matthew 24, we will miss the significance and the importance of this little discussion Jesus had with his disciples. The church is not referred to in Matthew 24. It is all what is going to happen to the Jewish people. We know that after Christ was crucified and the day of Pentecost arrived, soon after this was spoken, the church age came in. But most of what has happened and prophesied by Jesus in this chapter will kick in after the rapture of the church it is a future history this of God's earthly people the Jews and it's not of the church perhaps that is why Jesus starts off in verse 4 when he says take heed that no man deceive you take heed 
will let no man deceive you. Take heed. Take heed. Discern, he says, mentally. Observe. Perceive. Discover. Understand. To turn our thoughts and direct the mind to a specific thing. To contemplate. To weigh it heavenly, heavily and to examine. That's what he's telling us to do. And he's telling these people, his little group of disciples gathered around him, take heed to what I'm going to say. This passage has been applied so often to the church and the church age. And wrong conclusions have been drawn from it as a result of that. You see, these disciples were only interested in the earthly kingdom which they knew Jesus would someday bring in. The Old Testament prophets had constantly spoken of this wonderful earthly kingdom which was yet to come. When the lion, lion would lie down with the lamb and nature would be restored back to its original wonderful condition. They were interested in this earthly kingdom. That's how their minds worked. When will you come and set up your kingdom again? When, when he went out to the Mount of Olives or before he, 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 he was taken up, he said, will it be at this time that you will set up your kingdom? That's what they, they their minds were earthly. They were suffering under the Romans and the occupying force. There was this occupying force there constantly in mind. He says, when, Master, when will be the end of this age and the sign of thy coming? And then Jesus goes off into chapter 24. And we're going to have to leave it there. But remember, when we come to it next week, remember the background to this passage. That it's all about God's earthly people, the Jews. They don't have to get out the horoscopes to look to see what's going to happen to them, sadly. Because it's all written down here in God's Word. And it's quite horrific when you read it. You won't get this written in your horoscope. Horoscopes try to keep people happy. They don't want to tell people that disaster is around the corner. But there is a hope for the Jew as well. If they come and recognize their Messiah today, today, if you will hear my voice, your word says, harden not your heart. If they come and accept their, the Lord Jesus Christ as their Messiah, their true Messiah who has died for them, they too can become born-again believers and become part of God's heavenly people. Like our friend here, Mark Hagen. He says he was born a Jew. He was a rabbi. He looked Jewish. He spoke with a Jewish type of accent. He says, no, I'm no longer a Jew. I am now part of the church. 
I have joined in with those Gentiles who have also accepted Christ as their Savior. And now there's no wall of partition between them and me. They too have become members of this church. And our attitudes have changed. We are now one in Jesus Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek nor Gentile in this church. We are all one, joined together in the body of Christ with him as our head. What a wonderful thing that all these people have been joined together. doesn't matter whether I'm a German, a Greek, a Russian, whether I was born a Jew, whether I was born a Gentile. In Jesus Christ, we're all one. The wall between us has been knocked down, and we are all one in Christ Jesus. What a wonderful thing. What a wonderful message we have to tell the world, Jew and Gentile alike, that they can be all one in Christ Jesus.